0: Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 1, at that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations, proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them forth from the north country, and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant women, and she who is in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him back, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock for the lord has ransomed jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him they shall come and sing aloud on the height of zion and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the lord over the grain the wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. And thus sends the reading of the very words of God. There are three roads that are pretty famous that do not have any types of limits for speed. You can get on them and go as fast as you want to go. Probably the most famous, of course, is the Autobahn in Germany. Now, there are speed limits a lot through the Autobahn because it runs all across Germany. But there are parts where there are no speed limits. They tried to change that law in 2014, and the people didn't like it. So you can drive as fast as you want to go. You get in your car, your motorcycle, and just go into your heart's content on the Autobahn. Another very famous road is on the Isle of Man, They have this famous race called the the Isle of Man TT, which is like a a tourist trophy. It's the most dangerous race in the world. Since 1911, over 237 people have died. In the last 10 years, almost 30 men have died on their motorcycles because they go so fast on these roads and these turns. If you get on these roads, you can go as fast as you want to go. No limits. Another famous road with no limits is there in Australia. There in Australia, there's the northern section, the northern territory that has deserts. You can get on that road and go as fast as you want to go. There's no police, there's no cars, there's no trees, there's nothing. For miles and miles and miles, no limits. Go as fast as you want to go. God's love has no limits. None at all. As a matter of fact, Jonathan Edwards, when contemplating God's glory and his love for himself and how it pours out upon people, said it is no default to a fountain that it should overflow. Meaning it would look foolish if you took buckets to a fountain. Come on, let's get the fountain water and catch it. No, that's what a fountain is supposed to do. It's supposed to overflow. This is the love of God. It has no limits. There's no default to a fountain that it should overflow. And if you're taking notes, I want to show you three things in this passage. One is that God's love has no time limits. There's no time limits. Two is God's love has no sin limits. You can't out-sin God's love. And the third thing we're going to see is God's love has no geographical limits. It's amazing that we sit here so far away from where the cross and where God's people are. Here we are having the the love of God lavished upon us. God's love has no time limits, has no sin limits, and has no geographical limits. And let's look at God's love has no time limits. And maybe you're like me, as I did recently. I take my little truck and I pulled into one of those car washes because I wanted to use the high pressure washer. Maybe you've done that before. And you take your quarters, and you load it in, and you start going to town, and you're cleaning the back of the truck, you're going underneath the carriage, and maybe you're working on the wheels, and, and you hear that dreaded beep, 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 you're like, oh no. You've got to make a decision, right? Are you going to put more coins in? Can you, do you have enough time? Because that's the one-minute boundary, and you know if it runs out, you've got to put another $6 in just to start the machine up, so you're kind of frantic, you're in a hurry, because you know there's a time limit. It's real. You've got 60 seconds and you're done. There's no grace. There's no mercy. That's it. It's done. See, God doesn't work in time like we do. God's not limited to a certain aspect of time the way we see it. He stands outside of time. He is the one that creates time. He is different than we are. Look at verse 1. It seems as if We are in this time period of the here and now. We see things differently. Look look at verse 1 with me. At that time, declares the Lord, we we see time here. I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. It seems like the way we see time is there's actual a time where God comes and meets with us. There is a time where God meets with us. This is how we see it. This is how we experience it. Some of you know the exact date and moment and time when you came to know the Lord. Most of you, I would say, probably don't know the time or date. Maybe God converted you in the womb or maybe you grew up in the church and you've never known a day where you did not know the Lord. But there was a time where God came to you and appeared and said, I love you and He regenerated your heart. Different perspective from God's perspective. See, God's perspective, He's not bound to time like we are. Look at the verse 3 here. B, you could say, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. There's no time limits with God's love. You experience it at a time limit. He appears to you at a time. He gives you rest at a time. But for God, His love's an everlasting love. Think about that. Before the foundation of the world, God loved you. That's just striking to think about. And not only this, not only does he love you before the foundation of the world, therefore I continue my faithfulness to you. Not only does he see us out of time, and this is really important, as Pastor David has mentioned before, that Vossian quote, the reason we know God will love us for all eternity is because he never really started. He doesn't see time the way we see it. We experience it a certain way. We know time will end as we know it. But God doesn't see love that way. He will love you and be faithful to you because He loved you with an everlasting love. You can know that forever. He loves you eternally. That should give you a lot of hope. Knowing that because He loves you eternally with an everlasting love, He will continue His faithfulness to you. He will make sure that you make it to rest. He will make sure that you make it home to glory. And not only does God's love not have any time limits, it's not limited by time and space, God's love has no sin limits. And as Mr. Dumpy spoke to us this morning in Sunday school, we learned about Hosea. Hosea is one of the two prophets who actually prophesied to the northern tribes. So these first 14 verses, probably to 21, he's speaking to the northern tribes of Israel, the ten lost tribes, or as Mr. Dumpy reminded us, the nine and a half, technically, tribes that are lost. But the ten tribes that were lost, and Hosea was a lot like Jeremiah. He was called to do things that weren't normal. If anyone says they're a prophet, if they look normal, they're not. Trust me. Right? Jeremiah was, was, was called to do some crazy things, take a take a bunch of leaders of the city and break a vase out there in the junkyard where it stunk and smelled. And he busted into the United Nations meeting carrying a yoke upon his neck. He wore this sash and went out in the middle of nowhere. Did very, very odd things. Hosea, the prophet who was speaking to the northern ten tribes was called to do something odd also. God told Hosea, you can read that in Hosea 1-2, said, go take yourself an adulterous wife in other translations will translate that word prostitute go marry someone who's a prostitute someone who's an adulteress and i often laughed to myself you think he's like oh what about gomer she's somebody <laughs> like how did he find this person right it doesn't tell us but you think gomer just popped in his mind i don't know but i know this i know when you women went to get married to your husbands, if your husbands would have said, I really love you, but I'm struggling with with dating other women right now and loving them too, you would have ran away. We don't marry our spouses knowing that they have a heart of adultery. Knowing that they're going to leave and find other people to date. That's just not the way life works. But Hosea is called to do this. Go find yourself an unfaithful wife. And the reason why is because Gomer, the unfaithful wife, who continued to struggle with that her whole life, at least most of it, is because Israel did the same thing. I mean, the man of God is not going to marry a prostitute in the mind of northern Israel. And here comes Hosea, who they know is a prophet, who marries Gomer. And they're like, what on earth is going on? He's like, this is you. You are Gomer. Your heart is constantly looking for other lovers. You keep running off. Even though you are in covenant with God, you keep running off and giving your soul and your heart to other gods. I mean, think about what Jeroboam did right when the kingdom split. Do you remember the first thing he did? He set up golden calves there in Dan and Bethel. Remember the golden calf story? Remember that drama that took place? He did it again. He started the ten tribes off on the right foot, didn't he? It continued on. What about, what about King Ahab? Remember he married Jezebel? He also murdered the prophets of God. Isn't that crazy? He not only introduced Baal worship once again, he ratified it. In the nation. He wanted people to know this is our God. Baal is our God. Wicked, wicked man. Jericho was rebuilt, that wicked city, under his tutelage. All the way down to the last king there, Hosea. And the northern tribes did what? Loved Egypt. Said, we can trust anybody but Yahweh. Let's go trust Egypt and all of their gods. Maybe they will help us out. The northern tribes... And no good kings. They were all failures. All of them loved other gods. All of them adulterated themselves. Prostituted themselves out to all the other gods. They were just like Gomer. Idolatry was at its height. But look at verse 4. Speaking about the northern tribes. Again I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Do you see how God sees these adulterous people? Oh, virgin Israel. This is how Christ sees us. You can't outsend God, His love is limitless. In 2009, there was a megachurch pastor at a Desiring God conference, and he spoke about this preacher who got all these college students in, and he said his friends invited this young lady who was already had a kid out of wedlock, living with another man who wasn't the dad, was clearly in grotesque sexual sin, brings her to this conference, and the speaker's smelling this rose. And he's like, this rose is beautiful, and he wants people to pass it around, and thousands of people are passing around this rose and smelling it, getting their hands all over it. And he gets there, and he really is challenging these people fairly that, you know, not to follow in the ways of the world, not to live in grotesque sexual sin. And eventually the rose gets back, and the preacher says, see this rose, and it's all wilted and messed up, all the you know petals are off of it, and he's like, who would want this rose? Who would want the rose? And he's talking about their sexuality and their purity and... And the megachurch pastors said, I wanted to yell, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus will take it. He's like, that's the gospel. And if you were on social media, it's like the Reformed church started fighting against big evangelicals, right? And they're fighting on Twitter. Not that there's real fights, but they're, but they're saying, well, this man, that's a great illustration of sanctification. And it absolutely is a great illustration of sanctification. You should live that way. There's real consequences for your sin. But at the end of the day, that megachurch pastor was right. That's how Jesus sees his bride. As wicked as the northern tribes were, his love had no limits. He called them, oh, virgin Israel. Remember, Christ makes us righteous in the eyes of God. It is Christ. This is how God sees us. He sees us through the eyes of Christ. The atonement actually worked. This is why we believe in a definite atonement, because it works. Jesus actually takes the wrath of God and it satisfies the wrath of God. It works. It does what it's intended to do. He sees us as O virgin Israel. And as He sees us and as His love has no sin limits, Look how it changes the people. Instead of having their hearts toward other gods, we see in verse 4, again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. It makes them happy. Verse 5, again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, arise. Let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. They're coming back to the land. And not only are they coming back to the land, they're okay with going back to Jerusalem. They want David to be their king. They're excited that Yahweh is their God. But remember, this is written to Judah. In the mind of Judah, as they're in Babylon, you know what they're thinking? The same thing Dave Dumpy brought up this morning. Where on earth are these tribes that you're talking about? They're lost. Assyria not only took the northern tribes and tried to destroy them, they tried to eradicate them. They tried to breed them out. Complete wickedness. So Judah's thinking, well, I mean, they're lost. They're completely gone. There's no hope for them. But look at verse 8. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor, a great company, they shall return here. You know what God's doing? He's doing the same thing He did in Luke 14 with the great banquet. Oh, you don't want to show up? You've got excuses? Go bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring those who literally can't walk. How is a blind person going to make their way from a 1,000 miles away back to the promised land? How can a lame person who can't even walk make their way back? A woman in labor is not getting up. I can tell you that right now. But you know what God's going to do? Do the impossible. And He does it every time a soul is saved. He takes a blind, lamed, and crippled person like many of us were before we knew the Lord. We were all that way before we knew the Lord. And He takes us and He saves us Jesus Christ saves those who are blind and lame, and he brings them back. He's telling Judah, there's hope. Watch what God does. Watch how God fulfills his promises. And in verse 9, "...with weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble." For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. He's not going to take them in the same path as you read in the book of Numbers. (laughs) They're just turning around and around. He says, they're going to make a straight path here. And I'm going to lead them beside the still waters as they make their way, because God is the good shepherd. He says, Ephraim is my firstborn. Ephraim was the last born, and he wasn't even a son of Jacob. He was a grandson. And that's that passage where Manasseh should have got the blessing, but he crossed his hands. In my mind, I'm like, I don't know what that means, right? It means something. And I'll tell you this, Ephraim got the blessing, and it seemed that Ephraim represents the northern tribes. And God is not going to forget his promises he made to his people. And he will fulfill the promises he made. Why? Even though they're great sinners. Even though they've rejected most of what God said. Because God's love has no sin limits. We've seen that the love of God has no time limits. We've seen the love of God has no sin limits. And now we'll see that God's love has no geographical limits. You know that all the covenants kind of build upon each other. Right, you got the covenant of redemption and then, then built upon the covenant, really the covenant of grace and the covenant of works. You see all the covenants built upon those great covenants. And Abraham is such a great covenant as we study it. Is it not Abraham? Like this pagan, you could call him a Gentile. I know Bobby would disagree and I'm sorry for you or Dutch, especially Pastor David. But he's taking his idols, going to worship and God calls him And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. In your loins, in your seed, will come a a son that will be a blessing to the nations. We know that's Christ. We know it's Christ. But he's commanded to be a blessing to the nations. You are blessed to be a blessing. This little promised land that you live in, Abraham, is not going to be where the blessing stops. The blessing is going to be Worldwide. As a matter of fact, Hosea, remember he married Gomer? There's also a little prophecy in chapter 2, verse 23, that says, Those who are not mine will be called mine. I will love those who are not mine. Paul picks up Hosea in Romans 9 and says, I will call them my people who are not my people. It seems throughout the scriptures we see this promise. That God's love is not bound just to the geographical world of Israel. As a matter of fact, we know it starts there, does it not? You shall be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. There are Christians all around the world right now. I think of those in Pakistan. I don't don't know if you understand how COVID affected the world. Have you been to McDonald's recently or at least in the past year? And you're like, hey, uh, my table's really dirty. And they go, oh, sorry, COVID. And you're like, what? What does that have to do with COVID? (laughs) Right? It's like, that's an excuse for everything. That's kind of the way the world works often now. Oh, that was COVID. Uh, What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? But see, around the world, when they're persecuting Christians, COVID was their excuse. To kill Christians, oh, they still want to meet and gather. let's get a group of people, a mob and persecute the church in Pakistan this past month, they killed they, they killed a lot of Christians and they burnt twenty six churches, twenty six churches. But what we see in verse 10 is is the fruit, right? They are the fruit in Pakistan of verse 10. That the, the gospel has went forth. God's love has no geographical balance. God loves those people in Pakistan. They are trusting in Christ just as they are in China and Africa. Even here at New Covenant. Look at verse 10, what happens? Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, not just Israel, not just those that live in that geographical region, and declare it, in the coastlands far away, say he who scattered Israel will gather him back and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flocks. People are going to be talking about how God rescues his people forever, all over the world. How God is a God who keeps his promises. God is not a capricious God who walks around, changes his mind constantly. He is a constant God who wants his glory known and His love will be seen throughout all the world. As a matter of fact, people will know about this story. People are studying the story all around. You mean God is bringing the lost tribes out of nothing? He's recreating them and bringing them back? Yes, verse 11. The Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him for the hands too strong for him. Isn't this something we constantly see? Israel can't escape an oppressor. They have chains and and they can't get loose. And what does God do? He sends people and He releases them. We see that whole cycle in Judges. We see it with the Assyrians. We see it with the Babylonians. God is a God who breaks those bonds and those chains. And we know that's a picture of our sin. Not only is His Love going to save us, but it's going to break the very bonds of sin that has kept us in chains. Oh, that Wesley hymn. My chains fell off. When y'all sing it, I can hear it. I mean, it is loud. We all sing it. Why do we sing it? Because we know what it's like to be chained up by our sin, and we know that the love of Jesus comes, and He breaks the chains. And we are now free, and we're capable of singing like we never sung before. And look at verse 12, what happens? What do they do naturally? They shall come and sing aloud from the height of Zion. (laughs) Isn't that great? When you know about the love of Jesus, you just can't keep it in. It's like you want to sing. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. When he saves you and you realize that your chains are gone, you become a different person. I have had moments in my life with grief, I have cried, but yet I was still able to utter how firm a foundation, O oh, saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith and your excellent word. What more can he say than to you have said? I, I can say that, and it doesn't come out very, very loud, but I can, can kind of grip my teeth and say it because I know it's true but let me tell you what I can't do when I'm sad dance one of the sad things in America that we we don't have is a national dance Uh, when I spent time with in uh, Xinjiang with my Uyghur friends one of my favorite things to do was to go to their to their dances the women danced on one side the men danced on the other It was nothing sexual like you see at prom nowadays but the Uyghurs had their dance, right? They had their dance. They did the, and it, it was fun. It was a joyous, joyous time. You can't be upset with dancing. And what happens here? The women are dancing again. They have so much joy, it turns into dancing. And you've read the psalm, I'll turn your morning what into dancing. This is how much joy has come upon the people of Israel. They are so excited that God has brought them back to the land. They are so excited that God has burst the the bonds of sin. God has changed their hearts. All the tears of their sin have turned into joy. And guess what they're doing? They're dancing again. They're singing and dancing. I pray that you will understand that God can turn your mourning your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and to dancing. As we close, I like to go online. I follow this guy on YouTube who takes these supercars like a Lamborghini or he takes this Ferrari and he basically gives you a little bit of information and then he puts a little video camera. He's got like a GoPro and he puts it on how fast he's going, and then on the, on the cars that he's driving, and it's kind of like three different looks, and he just takes off as fast as he can on the autobahn. And if I put my headphones on, and I turn the volume up a little bit, oh, it's exhilarating. My heart gets to pumping. Sometimes he goes up to, to 350 kilometers, and I had to do the math. It's like 217 miles per hour, because I didn't know. I just know it's fast. And he's going fast, and he's... Passing cars, they look like they're stopped as they're driving. You go, whoa, this is exhilarating. I'm telling you, my, the juices are pumping. My, my heart's pumping. You want to know the truth, though? I've never gone that fast in my life in a car. I'm afraid. Never experienced that one time in my life. My fear is that you're going to leave today, and you're going to know about the love of God and the dancing and the singing in your head, and never experience it for yourself. You can experience the love of God. You can experience the love of God that has no limits. You can experience that. Your mourning can be turned into dancing. Your heart can be joyous. And if you just know it in your head, you miss completely everything Jeremiah 31 is about. And really the whole book is all about you experiencing this in your heart and having that joy that only Christ can give you. And I pray that you have that. And I pray that the Spirit will do that in your heart. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word.